Promotional consideration paid for by the following. StevieRichardsFitness.com It's a brand new year, so make a brand new you by joining the SRF Resistance today. Russo'sBrand.com Get the real shoot from the most controversial personality in wrestling, Vince Russo. ProWrestlingTees.com Get the coolest merchandise from your favorite independent pro wrestling talents worldwide. Head over to ProWrestlingTees.com and enjoy your 20% discount for the first five days of the new year and support indie wrestling today. GetAgerGold.com the online subscription service that delivers gold discreetly to your front door. Grow your gold stash using the affiliate link getacregold.com backslash horseman to start your subscription. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at get underscore acre and tell them the Hami Media Group sent you for an opportunity to win a free gold bar. The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. It is Friday, January 17th, 2020, and you are tuned in to HTM Sports here at the HTM Podcast Network online, hittingthemarks.com, and Hameen Media online, hackerhameen.podbean.com. This week's show brought to you by Get Acre Gold. Visit getacregold.com backslash horseman and visit them on Twitter at get underscore acre for your chance to win a free gold bar. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the voice, the ring announcer, the sick, the real RBB. Rick, welcome back to HDM Sports. It's me, it's me. It's that RBB to be. Rick Beckley back again. Hashtag HDM Sports. Jargo, we, uh, I guess, we're a pair of the walking wounded this weekend. This this devastating plague that is rocking the Midwest has caught both of us. You're, you're kind of on the back end of it. I know it had you down over the... Pretty much the course of last weekend, you can't really kick it. It's been on you throughout this week. You can tell you still got it here. I think I'm on the front end trying to kick it before it takes over. But, man, it seems, you know, across the entire Midwest, the Flatlands, the heart of America, feeling feeling miserable in the last couple of weeks. I do this thing where I get sick like once a year, and it's normally like the first of November. The only problem is it lasts until like the end of April. Uh, so I just caught it a little bit later on this year. I'll probably be sick for like the next three months. That's just how things go. Um, it was 20 below zero here yesterday. So yeah, it's kind of hard to kick a cold when it's 20 below zero. And today we're expecting a a whole bunch of snow and then we're going to get a whole bunch of ice and then we're going to get a whole bunch of snow on top of the ice on top of the snow. It's going to be fun. Huckleberry. It'll be a winter wonderland. Yeah, I, I know. I think we got in our forecast a little bit of what you got is heading this way. I don't know if we're getting that much snow, but they're calling, I believe, for like 17 straight days of below freezing. But yesterday, two days ago, it's 60 degrees here. Yeah. So yeah. it's just up and down weather. I mean, it's going from 60 in the afternoon down to the 30s. Now we're getting ready to settle in. You know, we were been in that slow decline. We're in the 30s today, but it's going to hit us uh just like you're getting there, just unfortunately, we're not going to get that snow. Just brutal, man. Just brutal. God bless the Midwest. Huckleberry, we got a whole bunch of sports to talk about today, and I want to start things off with a sport that we don't normally talk about, and that's the UFC. There's a big fight going down tomorrow. It's going to be Conor McGregor versus Cowboy Donald Cerrone, UFC 246, Saturday night, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on ESPN+. Rick, I bring this up because we're pro wrestling guys, and Conor McGregor is about the closest thing to a pro wrestler going in today's world, or at least it seemed that way until the press conference the other day. Are you going to tune in for this fight? I think, you know, this is one when McGregor steps into the octagon or into any kind of ring, for that matter, whatever he's involved with, he is such one of those over-the-top personalities, as you mentioned there, Jargo. He is like the living embodiment of what you would think of when you think professional wrestler. So he is this attraction all in his own. So no matter what the circumstances, he's going to spark your interest. You're going to want to see what's going on, what kind of shenanigans you might get. Even if the shenanigans aren't there, it's an odd twist, as you as you mentioned. 
hell yeah, I'm going to be fine in this thing. Yeah, I'm going to be fine in this thing, too. It was weird, man. Did you see the press conference? He was, like, super humble and soft-spoken and, and spoke well of his opponent, and it, it was kind of weird. Well, it's one of those cases where you always expect the unexpected when it comes to Conor McGregor. Hey, he's up against one tough SOB there in the Cowboy. Yeah, and he's up, dude, seeing like the two of these guys, like McGregor's going up to 170 pounds to fight this guy. He normally fights at like 155, 160. But even still, he looks like he's half the size of Cowboy. Yeah, absolutely. Just the way you're built, that you're put together. This looks like a, a huge mismatch. Which maybe leads into a little bit, you know, McCracken might be feeling pretty good here. So he wants to kind of be humble, you know. It's one of those things where you really build up that opponent so that when you can't get that win, it makes you look all that more magnificent. I, it could be, man. And it's it's an interesting fight for Connor too, because he's lost his last two fights. You know, like it, it's starting to, I actually heard it mentioned on a podcast last night, Todd Martin over at uh, PW Torch. He also does a lot of work with the UFC covering it for the LA Times. Um it, McGregor is kind of becoming the equivalent of Ronda Rousey. You know, like she was big and she was badass and she talked a lot of shit and then she got knocked the fuck out a couple of times. Maybe Conor McGregor is becoming Ronda Rousey. Well, as, as you mentioned that there, and it's because of how outspoken they were and, and they were talking heads and at the front of the pack, especially when it came to all the marketing and trying to make those big pay-per-view sales, but I think it's across the board anywhere in UFC MMA, you have such a short shelf life. And it only takes that one devastating knockout, that big loss that can you know change the direction of your career. Yeah, it, this is going to be a big fight for McGregor. That's it, for sure. It, it, it's what it, it really makes it difficult there for them to hitch the wagon to you know one or so ponies to become the faces of that company. Because just like that, in a blink of an eye, it could all be gone. And he says he wants to fight Floyd again. Floyd's like 43 now. Got to get that fuck money. Yeah, no doubt. That is some definite fuck money. Uh, let's talk about another group of people that got humbled over the course of this last week, Huckleberry. And I'm talking about the Clemson Tigers. Uh, Clemson, it, we, we have talked on this show quite a bit about Trevor Lawrence and that impeccable record that he has had going all the way back to his sophomore year in high school. First time he has tasted defeat. They go down to LSU, 42-25. to 25. Huckleberry, I actually went back and looked it up. The first time on this show that I said, I think LSU is the best team in the country, was on Halloween. Well, I don't think it was really a stretch at that time or a stretch at any point. I and mean, this team was, was very talented. Uh, you know, a few times there we had kind of said, it's, we're measuring up the numbers, stacking up the statistics against one another. Yes, I was over the top, making the pitch for the Buckeyes, who had a tremendous season. And, you know, even as we're talking here, Clemson had a tremendous season himself. I don't think they should have anything to be disappointed in. They shouldn't feel let down. They just ran into one of these teams that comes along every so often that is just so dominant, that is so talented, that there's no one that's going to stand in their way. The, the thing that surprised me about this game was Trevor Lawrence versus that LSU defense, seeing what he would do against an SEC defense, because we keep hearing how great this kid is. He goes 18 of 37, 234 yards, zero touchdowns, one fumble lost. Rick, does this change your perception of Trevor Lawrence, or do you just think LSU was that good? I just think LSU was that good. I don't want to get down on somebody for losing a game where – I mean, this outcome was was lopsided. I mean, this thing was predetermined. They were just up against a team that was so much better, superior in about every single way. And when you get behind like that, you start playing a little bit in panic mode. You're a little more free and easy with the ball. And I think that's where you see these stats end up at the end of the game. Yeah, rushing yards were basically even. Clemson had 160, LSU 165. But when you look at the total yards, Clemson 394, LSU 628. Joe Burrow... 31 of 49, 463 yards, five touchdowns, that's a record, one touchdown rushing, Jamar Chase, nine receptions for 221 yards with two touchdowns, and Justin Jefferson, nine receptions for 106 yards. Those are two names that you're going to want on your fantasy team one of these days. Both of those kids are just ridiculous. Rick, I, I, I know that there is a bit of controversy going on in the great state of Ohio and Cincinnati when it comes to Joe Burrow, but when it came to this game, this kid was just lights out. 
Yeah, but before we get to the current issue surrounding this dirty SOBL, giving props here. I mean, he is absolutely incredible. But real quick, you know, I, I want to go back to Clemson here. And more importantly, we're, we're talking about should they feel let down? What is their plan going forward? Overall, if you're Clemson, you got to be putting some pressure on the ACC to get better as a whole so that you're better prepared to represent that conference, represent your own school when you head into these playoff situations. I don't exactly know what that answer is. As you're looking at them demographically, man, they are in a hard recruiting position when it comes to football. So many of those schools located in SEC territory. Yep. Where you're just, I mean, you're up against, you're not even going to pick off like those mid-major teams. I mean, I could see the upper teams outside of Clemson and the ACC having trouble recruiting even against like a Kentucky when it comes to the SEC to say, you know, hey, you can come here and play with these big boys. You're going to get all this exposure. We got the best TV deals. And then even outside of that, you head north a little bit. You're in Big Ten country. Right. Uh, so it's almost like a no win for them. And you really fear that going down the line here, they have put together an incredible program there. I don't want to take anything away from that. But going forward, you walk that fine line of becoming like an Oklahoma. Well, the other thing is, especially once this fair pay to play thing kicks in, you have to anticipate that Florida State and Miami aren't going to stink forever. The Very good points. And as this fair play thing comes into effect and how this thing's going to be structured, so many questions out on the table there is we don't know really anything about it except that we're heading in that direction. If the ACC wanted to make a power move, they hold so much weight through the basketball outlets that they could tie a bunch of that stuff together to to benefit the football programs. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I just have to believe that the U is going to make a comeback. I have to believe that Florida State is going to stop being this embarrassment that they are. I mean, but the problem is you're competing with a school like Florida for recruits. But more than that, I mean, that SEC country runs deep in there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, it, to get kids to come to Florida, Florida the University of Florida is by far the destination of the three right now. Absolutely. And it's going to take time to rebuild those back up around, you know, at one time, maybe all three were powerhouses Yeah, in conversations for national championships every year. Yeah. Well, it's real easy to recruit talent. You know, that, that certainly helps. Well, you throw in there, just not saying, okay, now you're going to get paid. We've got these deals, but these major sponsors, you're going to be taken care of. Oh, by the way, we don't have a state income tax. Yeah. I mean, that's why you see so many professional athletes across the board, no matter where they're playing, they hold a residence in the state of Florida. Or Texas. Those two. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, as far as LSU goes, they're going to lose a whole bunch of talent. LSU isn't going to be anywhere remotely close to this conversation next year. It'll probably be Alabama. But the favored number one, according to Vegas right now, going into next season is Clemson. They should be right back here next year the way things look. The question is, is it going to be just like this year where they start number one and, you know, they're beating teams by 40 points. And that's just not enough for this committee because, you know, they're playing teams like NC State, which they should beat by 50 points. But you only beat them by 40. So we're going to drop you to number two. And then a couple of weeks later, we're going to drop you to number three. And then we're having the conversation. Should Clemson be in the playoff? And of course they should be. Well, I wonder, too, when we get to the scheduling I was talking about Clemson maybe trying to put some pressure or maybe pressure give some guidance to the ACC to improve their ranks. Will we see them step out and sign a major deal with another program and maybe get something going on early in the season so they have that impressionable win so that they're not continually dealing with this conversation? You know, do you belong to be here because of the quality of your opponent? Okay, well, let, let's address the elephant in the room then. The NCAA needs to step the fuck up and tell Notre Dame, listen, if you're going to be in the ACC and every other fucking sport, you're going to be in the ACC for football, too. Well, it, hey, money talks. And you know that NBC deal, how lucrative, how impressive that thing is. And it's just not for Notre Dame making money. It's for the individuals that they schedule. Everybody that gets to take a part of that with them is getting that cut. No, maybe the simple answer is, though, instead of forcing their hand and saying that you must join, because believe me, I'm with you. And how much did I fight last year against that when Notre Dame got this opportunity? I think they have spoiled theirs going forward. But what if you're the ACC? What if you're Clemson and you go to them and say, OK, we realize you should be here. If you were in the football 
if you're in the ACC for football, how much that would bolster our all of our programs, the entire league. Will you agree? Can we get you and Clemson to sign a deal where at least you two will square off? So it does appear that the top teams, at least associated with the ACC, are going head to head each year. There is an ACC network now, too, isn't there? Absolutely. Uh, I don't know what the reach is on it, the, the success that they've been having with it, but yes, it is there. And, but even inside of that, I don't believe that is anywhere near as financial as that NBC deal. No, you're, you're probably right. You're, you're probably absolutely right there. But how much more lucrative is the ACC network if you're featuring Notre Dame football? And then you have companies like DirecTV that suddenly want to carry the ACC network nationwide, and then you get more rights fees, and it's like, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah, I'd, I'd really like to see those numbers for actual Notre Dame football to see if, if Universal NBC would like to get the hell out of that deal. Yeah, that that would be interesting. I mean, because I mean, when they locked into that last time around, they locked in. It was like 17 years, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a long freaking time ago. I mean, I mean a, a ridiculous commitment. Yeah, myself and Eric Lake, we looked it up one time. I don't remember exactly when it was, but it's like they entered into this deal in like the mid 80s. And now it carries through, I want to say, until like 2030 or something like that. Yeah, something insane like that. And they've, re- they've renegotiated it a couple times. Yeah. But it, it, it is, I mean, it is a financial home run. It just, it doesn't make any sense for Notre Dame to cave and give in to go to one of these conferences. And believe me, I'm with you. I, I'm against it. I hate that they're out there on this independent, that they, you know, last year that they took a spot in the playoff and I didn't feel they had earned it whatsoever. So maybe, you know, maybe we meet halfway. We talk about solutions on our shows here. We don't try to put everything down. So maybe there is a halfway point where, okay, at least schedule Clemson. Find some room on your schedule to get Clemson involved here. So it looks like these teams that are involved with the ACC, the two big ones, are, are throwing down each year. The thing that irritates me about Notre Dame, just so I'm clear, I'm not necessarily a Notre Dame hater, but it drives me absolutely insane that they are in the ACC in every other sport and that they're on the outside when it comes to football. That's the thing that absolutely drives me insane. And they would have been in the Big Ten a long freaking time ago, but the Big Ten said, no, screw you. We're not going to do that. If you're joining the Big Ten, it's going to be in every sport, and that's how they ended up in the ACC. Absolutely. Yeah, that was supposed to happen way back when Penn State joined the Big Ten. Yeah, I was, I was really surprised in, you know, when they joined the ACC for those other sports that they weren't head, you know, head towards the Big East, where it wouldn't have been any sort of issue if they brought along their football. I mean, those are all like the, the Catholic, the Jesuit schools. Yep. I mean, they fit right along into that. Yeah. Uh, that was a surprise to me when we didn't see that go down. But of course, you know, the ACC came in. Uh, they were willing to bend over, give them whatever they wanted yep. in their circumstance. And that's where that's why we're at where we're at here. Yep. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about Joe Burrow. Um, Huckleberry, I'm, I'm hearing there is a bit of dissension amongst the Cincinnati faithful when it comes to Joe Burrow because Joe Burrow doesn't want to join RBV Fitness. That's absolutely right. Joe Burrow is not going to be subscribing to RBV Fitness. And here's some other big news here. We don't want anything to do with him after this major announcement. Burrow coming out was asked about the famous, you know, the, the lifeline, the defining appetizer the fighting flavor of cincinnati that is our style of chili it is so unique to anywhere else in the world it's so delicious so flavorful i mean it, it's feel good food baby that's what it absolutely is it feeds your soul so this scumbag burrow comes out here and publicly begins bashing it calls it you know he, he doesn't agree with that it, it falls under the chili category he says it is disgusting he doesn't understand it now i don't know you know I felt sorry for this kid that he likely, in all likelihood, is going to be drafted by the Bengals. And he was going to have to come here to this franchise and see that his career, this is going to be where his career came to die. I actually felt sorry for this SOP. You know what? I'm going to be rooting 100% now that they draft him. And then in five years, Joe Burrow is going to be the answer of a trivia question when we're talking about biggest bust and wastes of talent when it came from coming from college football to the NFL, and each and every time he goes out there and is laid out on his back or he takes a big loss, I'm going to enjoy my favorite, a supersized, giant, four-way chili spaghetti 
You know what that is, you know what that is Jargo, right? Oh, yes. I'm, I'm quite aware. I, I okay. researched it, it, this story very, very extensively. We, we've got, you know, the, the bed of noodles there. Then you layer over that just that fantastic Cincinnati-style chili. You throw on there some nice freshly diced medallion onions, and you pile it high right on top of all of that with some finely shredded cheddar cheese. Sharp cheddar there, whatever you like with it, but it, it you pile it high up there, and you could go with the ways. We got the two way, the three way, the four way, the five way. You can put them on conies, you can put them in tortillas, you make chili cheese burritos. There's so many options that you can have here. Now, I don't know what the thing with Burrow is. You know, he's he's been down there in the bayou. Let's let's look at what they're known for, what they're famous for, what he's been eating on. They got those mucklitos, those the gumbo, the jambalaya. You know what all that is? It's trash food. Here's what the ingredients are. You take whatever's rotting, whatever's left over, you're about to throw away. It might even be sitting at the top of the garbage can. You scoop all that out. You throw it in a pot. You stew it all together. Put a little broth in there. And then you cover up the disgusting bayou taste of those filthy, worthless animals down there in Louisiana. You cover that up by dumping a bunch of hot sauce all over it. You know, that really sums up what all other chilies are. It's all just a bunch of garbage trash food thrown in together thrown into one big pot, stirred together, and try to pass off. You don't even know what you're getting into. It's all chunky. You don't know what you're biting. When it comes to Cincinnati chili, I mean, it's got finesse. It's got fine flavors. It's got sweetness. we got the cinnamon there. We've got the chocolate. And if you do it right, you got a, a, a locally brewed Cincinnati beer that you pour in there to set off all those flavors. And I said so many different ways to serve it. So unique in flavor. And Burrow, you know, he's – with this statement here, he might be a Cincinnati Bengal, but he will never be a Cincinnati. You know, even where he grew up here is in the north part of the state. They don't know anything about good chili. And as pointed out here on hashtag HTM Sports, Jugger, it was you that unearthed this, this major breaking development, this story, this truth. He's not even a real Buckeye. He was born out in Iowa. Yep. He's one of you, Jargo. He's one of those Iwinians. Or what, what are you guys? What the hell? We're Hawkeyes, but he is not. He is actually a cyclone. He was born in Ames, Iowa. So even worse. So even worse. Iowa State. I mean. And, and, and why, I, why I'm jumping on this thing and why we're on Burrow, there's two other names. I know they're listening. They're in, they're in with us each and every week, and they've weighed in on this. They, they actually have the audacity to agree with this low-light Burrow. And I'm talking about what you had mentioned just a moment ago, Eric Lake who is a migrated to Cincinnati from Lexington, Kentucky. Hey, now, not don't, even don't, don't of, be hating on Lexington, Kentucky now. Not even one of the good cities in Kentucky, probably the lowest city in Kentucky, Lexington. That's where he came from. That's where we got Eric Lake, and he's been putting down this chili since I've known him. And then we go north a little bit here in the state. Craig Horsley, who actually, you know, I, I don't know how he did it, what kind of garbage he had on the family, dirt sheets, whatever. You know, he's got that beautiful family, beautiful wife, they have a beautiful daughter. But, I mean, him himself, one of those Michigan scumbags, you know, up there, you know what they put in their chili up there? First of all, they start off with a, with a big old batch of water from Flint. And that's what, that's what creates it more into like a, a wallpaper paste. And then they use this pre-processed canned disgusting cheese on theirs. And then they have the audacity to try to push this thing off as a Coney Island. Absolutely disgusting in every way. So I, I'm not going to hear this anywhere from Horsley, anywhere from Lake, anywhere from Burrow, or the handful of other individuals that I found myself up to about 1 a.m. on social media arguing with over this matter. Okay, well, um, a couple of things here. Uh, number one, I very much enjoyed my time in Lexington, Kentucky. I think it's a beautiful city. I, I very much wanted to move there at one point. Um, number two, uh, I have done extensive research on on this Cincinnati chili of yours. And Huckleberry, I got to say, I agree with Eric, and I agree with Craig, and I agree with Joe Burrow. Uh, the people of Cincinnati are the only people that consider what you are talking about to be chili. Outside of the greater Ohio area, nobody considers that to be chili. Yeah, I know. You know, that's once again to speak to the great state of Ohio, the OHIO, how we are set on a higher standard, a different level. How is it not chili? It has chili in the name. Cincinnati chili. It is a different variation. Yes, it is more, you know, even the creators of this thing. And we'll talk about the creators. 
We'll talk about the uh, the original. You know, actually, I have the honor, the privilege through one of my clients. I get to represent the original Cincinnati Chili in my marketing campaigns. And that is the famous original hashtag Empress Chili. You can find that at Champions Grill over on the west side of town. They're serving it up daily. I mean, you got the Coney's, the Ways, the loaded fries, any way you want it. Mondays and Tuesdays, you can stop in there and get loaded Coney's for $1.75. You talk about an incredible deal. Every time I walk in the door, the first thing they know is two up. Throw two up all the way. Got to have it each and every time. But Is that for the number of wins that the Bengals are going to get next year? Two? I hope they don't even get that many there, especially with Burrow at the helm. Well, let's let's talk a little bit more about Joe Burrow since this is a sports show and not a chilly cook-off. Um is that is there any kind of buzz in the Cincinnati area about not taking Joe Burrow? Is there any talk of trading out of the number one spot or just outright taking Chase Young, which would be the much smarter thing to do, and then picking up another quarterback a little bit later on, or bringing in you know somebody like a Cam Newton? Well, we did see that. You know, that was the the fantasy kind of scenario that's been making the rounds on social media. Is, is if the Panthers would offer this, I mean, it was an over-the-top offer that we had seen that if this proposal would go through, it's going to take a move like that from any team, a proposal in a trade. We're pretty much going to have to give them the world to get to that number one. If the Dolphins offer you two of their three first-round picks, do you take it? I still think you've got to load up with some more also in there. But the Dolphins are sitting on quite a bit of picks. Well, and they also have Josh Rosen. They also have Fitzmagic. I mean, they could send you a quarterback. Well, we we had Magic here before. Well, you know, so maybe does he like Cincinnati chili? Yes, he actually does. You know, who else likes it there? Gets it all in his beard and shit. Yeah, you know, a little for later. Got to save some there. Get that cheese in there. That's a nice little treat for later on. Uh, But it's, I mean, it really comes down to, I mean, you got the basic principles of the draft, right? If you're sitting at number one. The old school philosophy, you have to take the number one player overall. And I think that's where a lot of the majority of the mindset here in the city of Cincinnati is that's the way they're looking at it. No, no matter what. So you're taking Chase Young because I think he is the best player in this draft. You're looking at those those marquee spots and what they've done lately. And in a lot of people's eyes, especially around here, that Young has fallen off ever since that Michigan game. You know, coming back from that suspension, he wasn't as dominant as the force that he was. But I don't think a lot of people realize he becomes more of a target in those big games like that. So it's not so much that he's actually getting those stats, but it's about the, the disruption that he causes. Yeah, because it's taken two guys to block him. Absolutely. And, you know, it's what we're, you know, we talk about here in the NFL. You look going back to that first win for the Texans. You know, what what brought to that? The stats weren't incredible, yep. but it was the change in philosophy on the other side of the ball that he's responsible for that is so impactful for the team. So that's what you have here with Young. I still agree with you. I mean, you look at this. If you can especially move down a, a trade with a team that you're definitely going to be protected in top couple picks, like the Dolphins, where you likely could still go get Young and load up on some back-end picks there, absolutely make that move. You pick him up right now. You take that defense. They're going to be in the top 10. You're going to win a couple. You're going to win much, a lot more games than you did because, I mean, hell, they're only sitting there two wins. So you're, you're drastically going to improve your team. You bring Burrow in here, and these people that actually believe he, that, that some magical way that he's going to make everything better, this is going to become an elite program, a franchise. I mean, they're absolutely, it's absolutely delusional. So a couple of weeks ago, I pitched the idea of trying to get Phillip Rivers to Cincinnati, and then you take Chase Young. I think that's one hell of a deal. Um, we, we've heard a lot of talk about the Dolphins because they have so many picks. Rick, here's another scenario for you that I, I think maybe I should be the Cincinnati Bengals general manager. I would be calling the now Las Vegas Raiders, and I would say you give me number 12 and you give me number 19, which is the pick that they get in the Khalil Mack trade to uh, Chicago, and we'll give you Derek Carr. And the Vegas Raiders take number one. I could get down with that. And there's a number of scenarios out there. And I really, I jumped on board with you. I've been running around here to anybody that I'm having this conversation with. And I've been throwing out the Phillip Rivers suggestion. Because in any case, even if you hold on to this number one pick, to believe that you can run Burrow out there next year 
and, and you're going to find success with him in any way with this program. To me, that is absolutely ass. And I didn't say said it's delusional. You need somebody. And this is the same scenario we saw here a number of years ago when we had this spot where we bring in Carson Palmer. And at that time, Marvin Lewis had the sense to say, realizing that they, they weren't that close. They still had some steps to go before they can hand the keys over to Carson. So in that first year, I mean, they came out and said, no matter what, he is not going to see the field. He is not going to play. He's going to sit back. He's going to learn how to adjust to the NFL. He's going to learn our system. He's going to settle in. John Kitna is our guy. So if the Bengals could go get somebody like a Phillip Rivers and say, okay, we're going to give you a two-year deal. We're going to accommodate all your needs. We know you don't want to move the family, so we're going to try to make this transition as comfortable as we can. We're going to give you whatever we can for these two years. First year is absolutely yours. We need you to go out there to be a, a true professional. We need you to lead this team, the struggling team that only had two wins last year. But we want you to see what you what, you know what a, a change in scenery for yourself and a change of scenery for the quarterback position. See what you can do. We're going to need you to mentor, not just mentor Burrow, because you still got Finley sitting there. You know, he's going to be a second-year quarterback. We're going to need you to do this. And then in year two, we're going to need you to step back and take on more of that coach-manager role. And we're going to take care of you financially. We're going to set you up. And any other things, you know, your charities, whatever you need with that, we're going to be very hands-on with that. We just want you to come in to do us this, this solid for these two years. If that's not Philip Rivers, you need to find somebody that's going to play that role. Because right now, I don't think you have that anywhere. I know that they could get Dalton back on the hook for next season. But come on, I, I think that ship has sailed. It, everything has soured. If you're Andy Dalton, why in the hell are you going to want to come in here and you know stay for one more year and mentor this kid? Would you rather have Philip Rivers or Derek Carr in two first-round picks? Well, what is my scenario? Do you know with well, I mean, Carr, you, you would up. either be picking up Philip Rivers in free agency, and then you draft Chase Young, or you can have Derek Carr in the number twelve and nineteen pick in this year's draft. I still think at that quarterback, you still have to be prepared to take a quarterback later on with some picks. Well, this is a deep quarterback draft, though. We've talked about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. I, I, and I understand that, too. Uh, so, I, you know, I think right now I would I'd really have to go with there. I, I think I take option one. I go with Phillip for a short, short term, go get another quarterback, and then go get Young to anchor down on, you know, to really help out. What is, what is a very solid, tough, strong defense, especially up front? Let's jump over to the world of Major League Baseball, which has been a huge story this week. Really, really kind of stealing some headlines from the uh, college football playoff championship game. Astros general manager Jeff Lunhow and manager A.J. Hinch suspended by baseball for one year. The team fined $5 million, and then they were fired by Astros owner Jim Crane about an hour later. Alex Cora also fired in Boston by owner John Henry. And then overnight, Huckleberry, we had the Mets and Carlos Beltran agreed to part ways as well for his implication. He's the only player named inside of this report that was with the Astros. Uh, no other players are being implicated in this thing as per the collective bargaining agreement. Huckleberry, what do you make of this entire story? And do you think that this punishment is enough for people like Jeff Lunhow, A.J. Hinch, Alex Cora, and Carlos Beltran? Well, you know, so many individuals immediately, well, okay, they're just going after the general manager, the manager. What about the players that were involved here? And we see, you know, is the former player turned manager. In this case, as you talked about, it's it's in the bargaining agreement. There's no way they want to challenge the union on this. Right. I mean, one of the most powerful unions in the world is going to have their way with this case. They're not going to go after the players. And this, you, 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 go after, you cut off the head of the snake, correct? That's essentially what they're doing. We've seen other comparisons. You know, one of the biggest ones going around here is, you know, so many people jumping on back on the Pete Rose issue. You know, what, why has he got to spend and they're only getting one year? Because – they're because too he completely fucking agreed to it. He voluntarily took a lifetime and, ban. And I didn't want to get too much into the Pete Rose thing, but I wanted to point out they're, they're two completely different situations here. You know, you're obviously, Jogger, you have the tremendous point that kind of just stops the argument. He agreed to this thing. And, and then you get the counterpoint there that I don't, but well, he only did that because the impression of that they would reverse the decision within a couple months. And then you had, who was a Giamani that passed away. Right. Okay. 
that's about as stupid as someone in a court of law, you know, taking a plea bargain to a murder they didn't commit, you know, just because they think they can get out in five years. Right. And that, and that's that situation there. And with Pete, it's a completely different rules. And it was something that was, that was implemented. That was, was a standard that was set in the game for decades already. Right now we're dealing with something completely different. This is something completely a new form, a new concept of cheating, if you will, to you know, kind of use this technology and this elaborate scheme and all this, it's uncharted water. So in these suspensions now, these are serious deals. You're losing people for an entire year here. This changes the course of a franchise. So I mean, these are these are harsh in their own sent in their own sentencing, and now they're setting a standard. So anyone else that is caught partaking in actions of this fashion, it's, it's only going to get harsher from this point on out. And if it happens again, yes, you might see a ban like we've seen with Pete. I've seen a lot of Yankees fans very, very upset by this news. Shout out to Big Ray Hernandez. Can't stop talking about the Mets for one reason or another. I don't entirely understand that. But there's Yankee fans that are very, very angry by this, and they want them to take away the trophies and erase their name from the record books. Rick, what's the point? I mean, I know Reggie Bush won the Heisman Trophy. Saw it with my own eyes. Yes, we, was, we don't need the we don't need the asterisks there. Uh, I mean, I mean, anyway, I mean, should we go back and start changing outcomes of you know games that involve Clemens, right? When he was in the pinstripes, yeah, it, it's just ridiculous. And Roger Clemens has never been found guilty of anything. You know, when, when it comes to all these different scandals and cheating stories in baseball, I, I'll tell you, there is one surefire safe bet, and it has Pete Rose, a proud Westsider. Of Cincinnati, he absolutely loves his chili spaghetti. I think all those guys belong in the Hall of Fame. Where do you stand on that? Pete Rose, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Sammy Sosa, that whole era, they all belong in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I, for the most part, I agree. Uh, and you talk about, you know, it's, as you said, how much was proven? So much is still that we're relying on speculation. Uh, I think that for the most part they should. I, I, the only one I could make maybe an argument against is Sammy, but he was still so impactful. How magical that chase was between him and McGuire. Hey, I, I remember then, you know, in high school working a summer job. I, I worked out on a boat dock, pushing, you know, helping people in and out of boats, things like that. No matter what you were doing, we always had a radio out there. If it was people that were pleasure boating, if it was individuals that were out fishing, whatever it might be, there. I mean, everybody. It just, if we, we had bikers, foot traffic coming by, had the radio on. And when one of those two would come up the bat, no matter what Chamio had it on, I mean, they'd break in with it. And everybody would stop. I mean, people fell back in love with baseball following the strike, and it was all due to them. Yep. They single-handedly saved baseball. Baseball was all but dead after that strike in 94-95. Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire single-handedly saved Major League Baseball. And they don't want to put them in the Hall of Fame. It's absolutely fucking absurd. Uh, Let's talk about a couple of guys that are going into the Hall of Fame. Bill Cowher and Jimmy Johnson announced for the 2020 NFL class. Um, Huckleberry, these moments were very, very cool. They did one on the CBS pregame show with Bill Cowher, and then at halftime of the Fox game, they did the same thing to Jimmy Johnson. They were very, very cool moments kind of in the microcosm. And then as you actually look at these things, me and Stevie talked about it on hitting the playoffs. Guys like Terry Bradshaw just, they couldn't shut the fuck up and lay out and just let them have their goddamn moment. What did you think about the way that they did this? You know, overall, and and I did want to talk about that as well, and I I caught you and Stevie talking about it, and it was tremendous that you picked up on it there. But, you know, not to give those individuals too much of the credit, you know, or even too much of the action here on hashtag HCM Sports. Let's talk about the true individuals that, that that earned the honor. Both coaches, tremendous selections, and the way that they presented this thing, absolutely moving. You, it, it was so powerful. You could feel this sitting in your living rooms, wherever you might have been watching this thing. It was hard to hold back a tear yourself uh, to see the emotion and, and what this meant for them, this moment, this payoff. For their dedication, their entire livelihood, you know, around professional football to have this honor, absolutely earned it, simply incredible. 
very cool how they did this thing. To, so it, it's so much more impactful, and it lets you, you know, the audience at home know how special this truly is. You know, but there is something very, very sacred about the way that they do that too, because they lock all these guys up into a, in a special hotel, and then uh, the the big guy goes around and he knocks on the doors and he gives them the speech, and it's basically like you know, whoever's on the other side of the door and maybe their families in the room, and it's this real private kind of intimate moment. And I don't know, man, doing it on national TV just kind of uh, looking at it in hindsight, it really kind of rubs me the wrong way. I, I don't know. I, I see your point there, but to me, again, uh, it's a tremendous marketing campaign here. You know, for individuals that might not be aware of the tradition and how these these selections, or you know, how you're notified if you've been selected to get in, you know, this takes it to a new light, and it's going to touch people, and it's going to make it, like I said, so much more impactful on a, on a wider scale. And you still had that with most of them. These were the only two that they went public with, right. Right. They're, they're still going to do the same ceremony on Selection Saturday, the night before the Super Bowl. So we'll, we'll be talking about those that get in because, man, I look at that list of nominees and there are some great names on there. Uh, let's well, talk- I think that's, what's really fun about it, sorry to cut you off there, Jargo, but what's really fun about it now is that we're starting to see those great names from our generation. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very cool. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Bill Cowher. Uh, those 90s and early 2000s Steeler teams were just absolutely insane, bringing out that defense. And then when we saw the Big Ben and Jerome Bettis eras kind of begin there in Pittsburgh, 15 seasons, eight divisional titles, 10 postseason berths, 21 playoff games, six AFC championship appearances, two Super Bowl appearances before he stepped down in 2007. Huckleberry Bill Cower was a thorn in the side of all things Ohio, I'm sure. Absolutely. I mean, this guy, you know, arguably for many, many years, one of the most hated men in Ohio. I believe. Or by by Ohio, if you will. I mean, absolutely dominating. I guess the only break that the the northern part of the state has is when the Browns went away was just to get away from him (laughs) And, and the dominance of the Steelers. But yeah, it's so many great players and memories too. When you when you think about Pittsburgh and what they've meant to the league, and under the leadership of Coach Cower, this is one of those things you, you love to hate him, but goddamn, you respect him. Yeah, absolutely. And then there was Jimmy Johnson. Started his coaching career in 1965, and somehow, Huckleberry, he was still coaching when we were very, very young and impressionable until 1993 when he left the Dallas Cowboys. We're not even going to talk about the Miami Dolphins years. But the most important thing that Jimmy Johnson did, other than win back-to-back Super Bowls, was the Herschel Walker trade, which completely changed not only NFL football, but all sports forever. Oh, absolutely. And you remember they, they make that deal and they come out that next year and what they were like one in fifteen, weren't they? Yeah, they were awful. Following the walk there, but you had all those amazing pieces coming together down there that would become, you know, one of the most memorable and flamboyant dynasties of our generation, arguably all time. Uh those cowboys, man. How about them cowboys? An incredible run. And even before, you know, I know it's going into the pro football hall of fame here, but he was one of those first coaches that, that I remember that was that made that, that transition for success between college and the pros. 1984, the birth of the U. All he did was go 52-9 and nine at the University of Miami. Five New Year's Day Bowls in the national championship in 1987. How they didn't win at least three or four national championships is still one of the great mysteries in all of college football. And when you're talking about the birth of the U, you mean the U. Not the not the University of Miami. We're talking about the U. We're talking about the characters, the over the top. Uh, this is what inspired the Catholics versus the convicts controversy when Notre Dame yep. took them on, on a, in a big bowl game. Yep. Yeah, uh, Miami was down with the two live crew. Hey man, they they were hot man. They were everything. You talk about a crossover, and there and you know and they he kind of took that. You know he took that atmosphere, that attitude, that vibe with him to Dallas. And all along, you, you've got all the, these these hip, cool players that are defining, you know, trends in pop culture that are crossover between the sports world and all this. And there you get, 
is uh, the old Southern boy style Coach Johnson. Yeah. I, it's crazy to think that Jimmy Johnson was the head coach of that team. I mean, just, I can't imagine Luke from Two Live Crew hanging out with Jimmy Johnson. You know, it's it's comparable today. I guess maybe to some of the younger listeners that, that didn't get to see him in, you know, in that time, uh, to what you got going in Seattle. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, when when the Legion of Boom was hot. Absolutely. Well, then you, you got Pete Carroll up there, and even you know now they're talking about with you know a young hot player like Metcalf, who's twenty three. You know how is how is the coach able to relate with him? You got a seventy three year old coach. <laughs> it's different that he's sitting there talking like he's more lively than anyone here. He's probably more into the trends than anybody on the team. You know, it's about staying young with your program. Yep, absolutely. Uh, let's talk about another coach that probably is not going to make the Hall of Fame, but hey, you never know; he may surprise you. Kevin Stefanski, the Minnesota offensive coordinator, hired as the new head coach of the Cleveland Browns for a five-year deal. It looks like they're also going to be bringing in former Vikings general manager's assistant, George Patton, to be the new GM for the Cleveland Browns. Huckleberry, what's the feeling on the ground? Are, are, are the Browns happy about this? I mean, and I guess we can talk about Odell getting potentially arrested for slapping a cop on the ass, but I'm much more interested in George Patton and Kevin Stefanski. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm surprised we didn't have more Odell stories on this thing. He's found himself in quite a bit of controversy this week, getting a little heat with the NCAA and LSU as well. But I think the feeling there in Cleveland, I I reached out to try to get some feedback. People seem happy with this thing. And really going back to last year and reminiscing on that situation, it never felt right with Freddie Kitchens, not even with that fan base. They were excited about the potential with the, the star power at the specialty positions. But I don't think anyone really felt invested that that was the right choice. So even, you know, while they remained excited, it was kind of in the back of their mind. Now I think they, they feel a little more humbled in this situation. I think they got the right guy. Someone's going to come in, fit well with the city, that blue-collar feel. He's had success in Minnesota. You know, they regularly go to the playoffs. They're competing for their, a, a very competitive division. Not necessarily always the most talented, but always very competitive amongst themselves. So I, I think there's a good deal of excitement with good reason. Okay, but it, they interviewed Eric Bieniemy, the Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator. Now, like I, I don't even necessarily want to get into the whole Rooney Rule conversation because the show's already running running long because of your rant about Cincinnati chili, but. Would you rather have the Chiefs offensive coordinator or Kirk Cousins offensive coordinator? Well, absolutely. I think if you're looking for that excitement with all that energy, athleticism, star power that you've got, let's not forget, you know, we're just assuming that the Browns, you know, maybe didn't want the enemy. Maybe he didn't want them. He took the interview. Well, you take an interview, you're going to fly out there to see what they've got to offer. Maybe you get back from that thing and you say, you know what, maybe I'm better off just being the offensive coordinator and waiting for that next job to come along. Do you make anything of this entire Fritz Pollard Alliance diversity in the NFL, Rooney Rule? Do you want, I mean, me and Stevie talked about it quite extensively. I'm, I'm pretty talked out on it, but do you, do you want to make any comment on it? Not, not necessarily. You know, I've, I've, I've spoke on it last week. I'd never have bought into it. Uh, I think it was kind of just it, it's BS from its conception. I'm I'm just at the point where diversity, for the sake of diversity, does not equal equality. Absolutely, you know it doesn't. It doesn't to me. It's not the way that it's structured. It doesn't set. It's not that. It's not. Its goal isn't really equality. No, I find it more insulting than anything. I want you to interview Eric Bieniemy because he's the Chiefs offensive coordinator and he deserves that job, not because he's a black man. Right. Or, you know, with these other teams that were so quick to hire coaches that you're just kind of parading Marvin Lewis around from city to city. Yep. Marvin's an interesting one, man. I I, I know that you are absolutely on the Marvin Lewis train. 131-122-3 in the regular season, 0-7 in the playoffs a big chunk of that record in Cincinnati. Do you think Marvin's going to get a head coaching gig or do you think he's going to have to go through the coordinator stage again? I don't know if he's that interested. I'm not really sure why he was taking these interviews. Maybe just see what's out there because you get that itch. You know, once it's in you, it, it, it's going to resurface. You're going to want a part of it. it. It defines who you are for so long. 
Yeah, I absolutely do agree that Warren Lewis was a tremendous head coach here in Cincinnati. And I think given the right program, he could really take them to, you know, a special place. But, you know, where he's at right now, and I guess to, you know, the wear and the tear, the baggage that was left on him here in Cincinnati, that the coordinator's position is probably the better choice. Contents is king. You can you can low out all those numbers you want, Jargo. Those are absolutely magnificent when you take under the scope that he did that with the Cincinnati Bengals. You mentioned earlier, if you were the Bengals general manager, guess what? They don't have one because the ownership there, the Brown family refuses to give anyone that kind of control. That's what he had to deal with. They had the lowest budget. There is no frills. Cincinnati is not a destination for free agents. You know, they had to go get second tier players kind of off the scrap heap. Kind of like you were making chili anywhere else in the world is what you get with this franchise. Throw everything in here. And Marvin made a delicious, delicious dish. Somehow you have to change that entire culture. And I'm not exactly sure what the answer is, but I mean, clearly it can be done because look at Pittsburgh, right? I mean, like not to compare Cincinnati and Pittsburgh and and the people, but clearly it can be done in that kind of atmosphere. Absolutely. I mean, but unfortunately right now, the way it is set up, the Brown family, especially Mike Brown, uh, I don't, I don't want to like say this out loud, and I don't really wish this on anybody, but you hear the jokes all the time. He's 83. So it's almost kind of like that is the only hope for a countdown for change. Is His his daughter, Katie Blackburn, and her husband, Ken Blackburn, they would assume control of this team. I don't think you're really going to get so much out of it. You know, they, they might give a little bit of leeway. They might eventually hire a general manager. But I don't think you're going to see drastic change because it it runs in their family. It's what they've been taught. Everybody jumps on Mike Brown about this. He learned this from Paul Brown. You know, the Bengals were the last team. They fought tooth and nail against paying players. Wait, are, are we still talking about the Cincinnati Bengals or are we talking about the WWE? <laughs> because I feel like there is a very, very similar story going on here. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's that kind of vibe. It's just the way you've learned this that has been passed down from generation to generation, and it's who you are. You know, and to me, I always say this franchise could see success, but unfortunately, it would be after they move from Cincinnati. Cincinnati needs NXT. That's that's clearly the answer. Uh, let's talk about Luke Keekley. Um, hey, I don't even know if this Bengals team could compete in the XFL, so I don't. <laughs> Well, I guess Ocho Cinco is going to be a kicker in the XFL. I'm, I'm sure that's got to be a big story. God, we are a Cincinnati-heavy show today. Uh, Luke Keekley retiring from the NFL, only 28 years old. And, Rick, this sure seems like it's because of concussion issues, unfortunately. He missed seven games with concussions. He even was wearing a, a special device called a Q-collar for the last three years uh, that supposedly helps with concussions. Seven-time Pro Bowler, five-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro, three Buckus Awards, NFL Defensive Player of the Year, NFL Rookie of the Year, 2012 this kid was fantastic. Absolutely. One of the amazing standouts. And hey, you forgot a stat in there. There's that city again, born and raised here in Cincinnati, Ohio. That's why I said it's a Cincinnati fam- heavy show. I, I paid I pay you know, my love. Went to the went to the famed St. Xavier High School where he had tremendous success. And absolutely to see somebody like this. And this has been hot news here. Uh, devastating news of sorts to see someone in the prime, only eight years in, seven Pro Bowls, as you said just dominant stat leader across the board to be forced to the sideline. And, and you really got to feel from your heart goes out. It, this is one of the hardest decisions probably has ever made of his life. And that, that was pretty obvious listening to the interview and, you know, the announcement, you can tell this is the last thing he's wanted, but it's absolutely needed. You know, if he wants to continue to, to thrive and be there for his family. Yeah. It's a very, very unfortunate situation. We wish him the absolute best. I could easily see that kid getting into coaching because he just has a passion for the game. Um, Antonio Gates, also walking away, drafted in 2003 by San Diego, basically the complete opposite of Luke Keekley. but he's also an eight-time Pro Bowler, three-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro, second tight end to catch 100 career touchdowns and a record for tight ends in a season with 112, sixth on the career list in touchdowns, 11,841 yards. Rick, it's it's a shame because Antonio Gates was so good, and unfortunately, he played in San Diego. Yeah, you talk about one of those greats of our generation, one of those names that, that we'll forever remember. 
I uh, got to go into the hall when he's eligible there. It, it, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I believe I'm right. Like he didn't even play college football, did he? He was a basketball player. Right. Yep. And he makes that transition and, and was simply one of the true stars there. And it, you look at all those. What, what's funny, you say a shame that he played in San Diego. So many teams there in San Diego, we can look back on and be like, how the hell could they not get over the hump? You know, it, so many times just knocking at the door, but just couldn't get there. Well, one of the biggest problems with San Diego was always the market because people in the Midwest East just would not see their games because they would always have that late start time and they would always have the fucking Cowboys on. So nobody was watching the San Diego Chargers. Absolutely. I mean, you talk about, you know, you're creating a destination for players to go to. I mean, what better place in the world than San Diego? Right. Uh, but but for that exposure, when you're trying to grow that brand and your true worth to the networks and the advertisers, I mean, it's just not there if you're not getting that exposure. We're seeing it in the NBA this season, too, especially now that Kawhi Leonard has moved to the West. NBA ratings are down 20 percent. Why? Because all the good games don't start until 1030 on the East Coast. I mean, you got half of the country in bed. Or watching the news. Yeah, and not everybody wants to watch the Milwaukee Bucks. It's just not a sexy market. It's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. So so let's take a look at the games coming up this week, Huckleberry. It's going to be the AFC Championship, the NFC Championship, and we have seen both of these games before. It's going to be an interesting way that this thing is laid out, man, because earlier this season... Week 11, Tennessee beat Kansas City, 35-32. Mahomes goes 36-50, 446 yards, three touchdowns. Tyreek Hill, 11 receptions, 157 yards. Ryan Tannehill does his thing, 13-19 of for 181. Derrick Henry, 23 carries, 188 yards, two touchdowns. Total yards, Kansas City, 530 Tennessee, 371. Tennessee wins this game. I see this going exactly the same way, and Derrick Henry is going to win them this game. It it was funny. Last week, as soon as that game ended, I started looking forward to this. I started looking at some of the numbers, how they can handle this game, how they could go into Arrowhead, get this thing done. Essentially, I mean, they'd be making history. They'd be beating, what, they would beat the three, the two, and the one? Or the three to one and the two. Well, and, and route to going to the Super Bowl. And in order to even make the playoffs, they had to beat four. They will have beaten all four division winners in the final four games to make it to the Super Bowl. They go through Houston to even make the freaking playoffs. Then they go to New England. Then they get Baltimore. Now Kansas City all on the road. This is destiny for the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, absolutely incredible. You know, you're laying it out there on the field. They have been ground and pound. They are owning this thing. Tannehill making, you know, all the right moves at quarterback, not making a big mistake there, letting it get it done on the ground. The defense has been tremendous, especially up front, just dominating the opposing lines. But a lot of this comes down to, and what's going to be interesting this game, and I'm, we're going to see a lot of this, I'm sure, from the major talking heads, looking at the history and the numbers of Andy Reid in playoff situations like this, which are not too favorable Especially now, going up across him on this side, where the Tennessee Titans all around, top to bottom, have just smoked the opposing coaching staffs. Yeah, Mike Vrabel is just knocking it out of the park. And you know, we've always heard it said, and it's never been more true this season, if you're going to win in the playoffs, you have to run the football. And that's what Tennessee is doing. They're running the football. They, they don't care if they have to take 12 minutes off the clock in order to march down the field and score. And that's what's going to happen in this game. And then Absolutely. And then Mahomes is going to get the ball, and he's going to go right down the field in like three minutes, and then he's going to give it back to Derrick Henry, and Derrick Henry's going to take another 10 minutes off of the clock. You're going to see the exact opposite. And if Kansas City gets themselves in this situation, they are, they're in great trouble. They cannot come out and get behind like they did last week. Because where the Texans didn't have the ability to eat up that clock and allow the Chiefs to get back into this thing and actually, you know, ultimately dominate this thing, went in a blowout 
you know, you get down three scores like they did last week, you're not coming back on the Tennessee Titans like that because they are going to consume every moment of that clock possible. I think it's scary that Kansas City in that comeback, they didn't have one drive that went over four minutes. If you're going to put that Kansas City defense on the field every four minutes and let Derrick Henry go out there and do his thing, by the middle of the second half, he is just going to go absolutely insane. You're exactly right, sir. Eat him up. Eat him up. Let's talk about my Green Bay Packers. Rick, I want to believe that to win this game, Green Bay is going to come out and they're going to start fast and they're going to jump all over San Francisco and they're going to go up like 17 points. And then we're going to sit there and we're going to watch the clock and hope that it hits zero before San Francisco can come back. Green Bay is nine and one this season in one score games. And that's how we win. We make Jimmy Garoppolo have to throw the ball to beat us. But I don't have any faith that that's going to happen. Do you? Well, you know, last week when I heard that stat thrown out, you and I happened to be talking. I was absolutely blown away. Nine and one in one score game. Just to, just to throw that out there again. How incredible that is. And yeah, it is. What were you calling them? The heart attack pack? Hashtag heart attack pack. I mean, that's what it is. You know, get up. Look like you, you're a million bucks throughout the, well, maybe about what, to halfway through the third quarter? And then you just stop playing? No, you know what it is. I know exactly what it is. They script like 15 plays, and they do it to start the game, and they do it to start the second half. And once that script is gone, they can't do fucking anything. So they have to go work on the fly. They they just can't do it here. Yeah. So, So really, they are the NXT of the conversation here today. When you can sit there at the performance center and go over and over and over, but when something goes off cue and you've got to work on the fly, it's just not there. Bingo. I will say, you know, last time going out there, what week was it? I mean, it was absolutely the embarrassment of the season for the Green Bay Packers. It was the worst game of Aaron Rodgers' career. 20 yes. of 33 for 104 yards. They are going to come out much more prepared. You're going to see a better outing from Rodgers here. I, I think you're going to see a, a very competitive game. You know, what that big question is, you know, that cliffhanger holding your breath, Jargo, especially for you, the, the Packer fans, that bend, 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 don't break. Are they going to be able to hold on here? I'm not exactly sure. The good news is when San Francisco beat Green Bay 37-8, to it was week 12, and Aaron Jones was splitting time with Jamal Williams at the time. Jamal Williams had 11 carries for 45 yards. The bad news is... When Aaron Jones was in there carrying the ball, he had 13 carries. He only went for 38 yards. Green Bay is going to have to jump out early because they're not going to be able to just pound the rock against that San Francisco front seven and Bosa. It's just not going to happen. Absolutely. I mean, I think this is going to be the, the game to watch this week. This is going to be pretty damn dynamic to see how this plays out. But, hey, what, what is the fix in if we do end up with the Packers and the, and the Chiefs for the All-State Super Bowl? It sure seems that way, right? But you know what the scary thing is? Like, if this is a pro wrestling storyline and it ends up Kansas City and Green Bay, you, you know Kansas City has to win that game because Green Bay won Super Bowl one. So in a hundred-year-long storyline, I mean, you got to get revenge, right? The babyface has to go over. Yeah, I mean, I not even think about that dynamic. They're a hundred years in the making. Yeah. Uh, two guys that are... are Prominent in your advertising campaigns, uh, major marketing sponsors. Oh, geez. I mean, it, it's got everything written all over it. Yeah. The only problem is George Kittle. George Kittle. I mean, he, he's just going to – I'm terrified of George Kittle. You know, against Minnesota, he only had three catches for 16 yards. That's it. Against Green Bay, he had six for 129. We just – our secondary can't keep up with George Kittle. We fed him too much corn-fed beef here in Iowa. Guy's a monster. There we go. 
So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then find the entire HTM podcast network online, hittingthemarks.com, and visit hackerhameen.podbean.com for the latest from the Hameen Media Group. Be sure that you hit up GetAcreGold at getacregold.com backslash horseman and get at them on Twitter at get underscore acre. You can find me across all social media platforms at NotJarko, RBV. How do the peeps, the freaks, and the geeks find you? Well, they can find me uh, kind of curled up with a bottle of NyQuil here for the next couple of hours. But hopefully I'll be making my rounds with social media this weekend so you keep up with all things Rick Vickery at the real RBV. We will be back a little bit later on for the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, assuming that Huckleberry is not dealing with a NyQuil coma and assuming that my Skype machine will work with all the ice and snow. So we will talk to you then for now. We're off like a prom dress. See ya!